Section 26 of The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 2, by Jefferson Davis. Part 4, Chapter 39b. While the events which have just been narrated were transpiring, Colonel Grierson, with three regiments of cavalry, made a raid from the northern border of Mississippi through the interior of the state, and joined General Banks at Baton Rouge in Louisiana. Among the expeditions for pillage and arson, this stands prominent for savage outrages against defenseless women and children, constituting a record alike unworthy a soldier and a gentleman. Grant, with his large army, was now marching into the interior of Mississippi, his route being such as might either be intended to strike the capital, Jackson, or Vicksburg. The country through which he had to pass was for some distance composed of abrupt hills, and all of it poorly provided with roads. There was reasonable ground to hope that, with such difficult communications with his base of supplies, and the physical obstacles to his progress, he might be advantageously encountered at many points, and be finally defeated. In such warfare as was possible, that portion of the population who were exempt or incapable of full service in the army could be very effective as an auxiliary force. I therefore wrote to the governor, Pettus, a man worthy of all confidence as well for his patriotism as his manhood, requesting him to use all practicable means to get every man and boy, capable of aiding their country in its need, to turn out, mounted or on foot, with whatever weapons they had, to aid the soldiers in driving the invader from our soil. The facilities the enemy possessed in river transportation, and the aid which their iron-clad gunboats gave to all operations where land and naval forces could be combined, were lost to Grant in this interior march which he was making. Success gives credit to military enterprises, had this failed, as I think it should, it surely would have been pronounced an egregious blunder. Other efforts made to repel the invader will be noticed in the course of the narrative. After the retreat of Bowen, which has been described, General Pemberton, anticipating an attack on Vicksburg from the rear, concentrated all the troops of his command for its defense. All previous demonstrations indicated the special purpose of the enemy to be its capture. The strategic importance justified the belief that he would concentrate his efforts upon that object, and this opinion was enforced by the difficulty of supplying his army in the region into which he was marching, and the special advantages of Vicksburg as his base. The better mode of counteracting his views, whatever they might be, it would be more easy now to determine than it was when General Pemberton had to decide that question the superior force of the enemy enabled him at the same time while moving the main body of his troops through louisiana to a point below vicksburg to send a corps to renew the demonstration against haines's bluff finding due preparation made to resist an attack there this demonstration was merely a feint but had pemberton withdrawn his troops that feint could have been converted into a real attack and the effort so often foiled to gain the heights above vicksburg would have become a success when that corps retired and proceeded to join the rest of grant's army which had gone toward grand gulf 
Pemberton commenced energetically to prepare for what was now the manifest object of the enemy. From his headquarters at Jackson, Mississippi, he, on the 23rd of April, directed Major General Stevenson, commanding at Vicksburg, that, quote, communications, at least for infantry, should be made by the shortest practicable route to Grand Gulf. The indications now are that the attack will not be made on your front or right, and all troops not absolutely necessary to hold the works at Vicksburg should be held as a movable force for either Warrenton or Grand Gulf, end quote. On the 28th, Brigadier General Bowen, commanding at Grand Gulf, reported that, quote, transports and barges loaded down with troops are landing at hard times on the West Bank, end quote. Pemberton replied by asking, quote, have you force enough to hold your position? If not, give me the smallest additional number with which you can, end quote. At this time, the small cavalry force remaining in Pemberton's command compelled him to keep infantry detachments at many points liable to be attacked by raiding parties of the enemy's mounted troops, a circumstance seriously interfering with the concentration of the forces of his command. Instructions were sent to all the commanders of his cavalry detachments to move toward Grand Gulf, to harass the enemy in flank and rear, obstructing, as far as might be, communications with his base. A dispatch was sent to Major General Buckner, commanding at Mobile, asking him to protect the Mobile and Ohio Railroad, as Pemberton required all the troops he could spare to strengthen General Bowen. A dispatch was also sent to General J. E. Johnston at Tullahoma, saying that the Army of Tennessee must be relied on to guard the approaches through North Mississippi. To Major General Stevenson at Vicksburg, he sent a dispatch, quote, Hold 5,000 men in readiness to move to Grand Gulf, and, on the requisition of Brigadier General Bowen, move them. With your batteries and rifle pits manned, the city front is impregnable, end quote. At the same time, the following was sent to General Bowen, quote, I have directed General Stevenson to have 5,000 men ready to move on your requisition, but do not make requisition unless absolutely necessary for your position. I am also making arrangements for sending you two or 3,000 men from this direction in case of necessity, end quote. The policy was here manifested of meeting the enemy in the hills east of the point of his debarkation, yet all unfriendly criticism has treated general pemberton's course on that occasion as having been voluntarily to withdraw his troops to within the entrenchments of vicksburg his published reports show what early and consistent efforts he made to avoid that result after general j e johnston had recovered from the wound received at seven pines he was on the twenty fourth of november eighteen sixty two by special order number 275, assigned to the command of a geographical department including the states of Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, and parts of Louisiana, Georgia, and North Carolina. The order gives authority to establish his headquarters wherever, in his judgment, will best secure facilities for ready communication with the troops of his command, and provides that he, quote, will repair to any part of said command whenever his presence may for the time be necessary or desirable." While the events which have been described were occurring in Pemberton's command, he felt seriously the want of cavalry, 
and was much embarrassed by the necessity for substituting portions of his infantry to supply the deficiency of cavalry these embarrassments and the injurious consequences attendant upon them were frequently represented in his report he states after several other applications for cavalry that on march twenty fifth he wrote to general johnston commanding department quote, urgently requesting that the division of cavalry under major general van dorn which had been sent to the army of tennessee for special and temporary purposes might be returned end quote he gives the following extract from general johnston's reply of april third to his request quote, in the present aspect of affairs general van dorn's cavalry is much more needed in this department than in that of mississippi and east louisiana and cannot be sent back as long as this state of things exists you have now in your department five brigades of the troops you most require that is infantry belonging to the army of tennessee this is more than a compensation for the absence of general van dorn's cavalry command to this pemberton rejoined that cavalry was dispensable stating the positions where the enemy was operating on his communications and the impossibility of defending the railroads by infantry referring to the advance of the enemy from bruinsburg pemberton in his report makes the following statement quote, with a moderate cavalry force at my disposal, I am firmly convinced that the Federal Army under General Grant would have been unable to maintain its communication with the Mississippi River, and that the attempt to reach Jackson and Vicksburg would have been as signally defeated in May 1863 as a like attempt from another base had, by the employment of cavalry, been defeated in December 1862." pemberton commenced after the retreat of bowen to concentrate all his forces for the great effort of checking the invading army and on the sixth of may telegraphed to the secretary of war that the reinforcements sent to him were very insufficient adding quote, the stake is a great one i can see nothing so important End quote. on the twelfth of may he sent a telegram to general j e johnston and a duplicate to the president announcing his purpose to meet the enemy then moving with heavy force towards edwards's depot and indicated that as the battlefield he urgently asked for more reinforcements quote, also that three thousand cavalry be at once sent to operate on this line i urge this as a positive necessity the enemy largely outnumbers me and i am obliged to hold back a large force at the ferries on big black end quote this was done to prevent the foe passing to his rear large bodies of troops continued to descend the river land above vicksburg and to avoid our batteries at that place to move on the west side of the river to reinforce general grant this seemed to justify the conclusion that the main effort in the west was to be made by that army and supposing that general johnston would be convinced of the fact if he repaired to that field in person as well as to avail ourselves of the public confidence felt in his military capacity he was ordered on the ninth of may eighteen sixty three to quote, proceed at once to mississippi and take chief command of the forces giving to those in the field as far as practicable the encouragement and benefit of your personal direction arranged to take for temporary service with you or to be followed without delay 
3,000 good troops, end quote, etc. On the 12th, the same day General Pemberton had applied for reinforcements, he instructed Major General Stevenson as follows, quote, From information received, it is evident that the enemy is advancing in force on Edwards's depot and Big Black Bridge. Hot skirmishing has been going on all the morning, and the enemy are at 14 Mile Creek. You must move with your whole division to the support of Loring and Bowen at the bridge, leaving Baldwin's and Moore's brigades to protect your right. End quote. In consequence of that information, Brigadier General Gregg, who was near Raymond, received cautionary instruction, notwithstanding which he was attacked by a large body of the enemy's forces, and his single brigade, with great gallantry and steadiness, held them in check for several hours, and then retired in such good order as to attract general admiration. Meantime, bodies of the enemy's troops were sent into the interior villages, and much damage was done in them and to the defenseless, isolated homes in the country. General Johnston arrived at Jackson on the 13th of May, 1863, and telegraphed to J. A. Seddon, Secretary of War, as follows, quote, I arrived this evening, finding the enemy in force between this place and General Pemberton, cutting off the communication. I am too late, end quote. In the order assigning General Johnston to the Geographical Department of the West, he was directed to repair in person to any part of his command, whenever his presence might be for the time necessary or desirable. On the ninth of May, 1863, he was ordered to proceed at once to Mississippi and take chief command of the forces in the field. When he reached Jackson, learning that the enemy was between that place and the position occupied by General Pemberton's forces, about thirty miles distant, he halted there and opened correspondence with Pemberton, from which a confusion with consequent disaster resulted, which might have been avoided had he, with or without his reinforcements, proceeded to Pemberton's headquarters in the field. What that confusion or want of co-intelligence was will best appear from citing the important part of the dispatches which passed between them. On May 13th, General Johnston, then at Jackson, sent the following dispatch to General Pemberton, which was received on the 14th. Quote, I have lately arrived, and learn that Major General Sherman is between us, with four divisions at Clinton. It is important to re-establish communications that you may be reinforced. If practicable, come up in his rear at once. To beat such a detachment would be of immense value. Troops here could cooperate. All the troops you can quickly assemble should be brought. Time is all-important." On the same day, the 14th, General Pemberton, then at Bovina, replied, quote, I have the honor to acknowledge receipt of your communication. I moved at once with whole available force, about 16,000, leaving Vaughn's brigade, about 1,500, at Big Black Bridge. Tilgman's brigade, 1,500, now at Baldwin's Ferry, I have ordered to bring up the rear of my column. He will be, however, from fifteen to twenty miles behind it. Baldwin's Ferry will be left, necessarily, unprotected. To hold Vicksburg are Smith's and Forney's divisions, extending from Snyder's Mills to Warrenton, numbering effectives seven thousand eight hundred men. 
I do not think that you fully comprehend the position that Vicksburg will be left in, but I comply at once with your order. End quote. On the same day, General Pemberton, after his arrival at Edwards's depot, called a council of war of all the general officers present. He placed General Johnson's dispatch before them, and stated his own views against the propriety of an advance, but expressed the opinion that the only possibility of success would be by a movement on the enemy's communications. A majority of the officers present expressed themselves favorable to the plan indicated by General Johnston. The others, including Major Generals Loring and Stevenson, quote, preferred a movement by which the army might attempt to cut off the enemy's supplies from the Mississippi River, end quote. General Pemberton then sent the following dispatch to General Johnston. Quote, Edwards's Depot, May 14, 1863. I shall move as early tomorrow morning as practicable, with a column of 17,000 men, to Dillon's, situated on the main road leading from Raymond to Port Gibson, seven and a half miles below Raymond, and nine and a half miles from Edwards's Depot. The object is to cut the enemy's communication and to force him to attack me, as I do not consider my force sufficient to justify an attack on the enemy in position, or to attempt to cut my way to Jackson. At this point, your nearest communication would be through Raymond. End quote. The movement commenced about 1 p.m. on the 15th. General Pemberton states that the force at Clinton was an army corps numerically greater than his whole available force in the field, that, quote, the enemy had at least an equal force to the south, on my right flank, which would be nearer Vicksburg than myself, in case I should make the movement proposed. I had, moreover, positive information that he was daily increasing his strength. I also learned, on reaching Edwards's depot, that one division of the enemy, A. J. Smith's, was at or near Dillon's. On the morning of the sixteenth, about six thirty o'clock, Colonel Wirt Adams, commanding the cavalry, reported to General Pemberton that his pickets were skirmishing with the enemy on the Raymond Road in our front. At the same moment, a courier arrived and delivered the following dispatch from General Johnston: quote, "Canton Road, ten miles from Jackson." May 15, 1863, 8.30 o'clock a.m. Our being compelled to leave Jackson makes your plan impracticable. The only mode by which we can unite is by your moving directly to Clinton and informing me that we may move to that point with about 6,000." Pemberton reversed his column to return to Edwards's depot and take the Brownsville Road so as to proceed toward Clinton on the north side of the railroad, and sent a reply to General Johnston to notify him of the retrograde movement and the route to be followed. Just as the reverse movement commenced, the enemy drove in the cavalry pickets and opened fire with artillery. The continuance of the movement was ordered, when, the demonstrations of the enemy becoming more serious, orders were issued to form a line of battle, with Loring on the right, Bowen in the center, and Stevenson on the left. Major General Stevenson was ordered to make the necessary dispositions for protecting the trains on the Clinton Road and the crossing of Baker's Creek. The line of battle was quickly formed in a position naturally strong, and the approaches from the front well covered. The enemy made his first demonstration on the right, but, after a lively artillery duel for an hour or more, 
this attack was relinquished and a large force was thrown against the left where skirmishing became heavy about ten o'clock the battle began in earnest along stevenson's entire front about noon loring was ordered to move forward and crush the enemy in his front and bowen to cooperate no movement was made by loring he said the force was too strongly posted to be attacked but that he would seize the first opportunity to assault if one should offer stevenson soon found that unless reinforced he would be unable to resist the heavy and repeated attacks along his line aid was sent to him from bowen and for a time the tide of battle turned in our favor the enemy still continued to move troops from his left to his right thus increasing on that flank his vastly superior forces general pemberton feeling assured that there was no important force in front of loring again ordered him to move to the left as rapidly as possible to this order the answer was given that the enemy was in strong force and endeavoring to turn his flank as there was no firing on the right the order was repeated much time was lost in exchanging these messages at four p m a part of stevenson's division broke badly and fell back some assistance finally came from loring but it was too late to save the day and the retreat was ordered had the left been promptly supported when it was first so ordered it was not improbable that the position might have been maintained and the enemy possibly driven back although his increasing numbers would have rendered it necessary to withdraw during the night to save our communications with vicksburg unless promptly reinforced the dispatch of the fifteenth from general johnston in obedience to which pemberton reversed his order of march gave him the first intelligence that johnston had left jackson but while making the retrograde movement a previous dispatch from johnston dated may fourteenth eighteen sixty three camp seven miles from jackson informed pemberton that the body of federal troops mentioned in his dispatch of the thirteenth had compelled the evacuation of jackson and that he was moving by the canton road he refers to the troops east of jackson as perhaps able to prevent the enemy there from drawing provisions from that direction and that his command might effect the same thing in regard to the country toward panola and then asks these significant questions quote, can he supply himself from the mississippi can you not cut him off from it above all should he be compelled to fall back for want of supplies beat him as soon as the reinforcements are all up they must be united to the rest of the army if prisoners tell the truth the force at jackson must be half of grant's array it would decide the campaign to beat it which can only be done by concentrating especially when the remainder of the eastern troops arrive they are to be twelve or thirteen thousand from pemberton's communication it is seen that he did not feel his army strong enough to attack the corps in position at clinton and that he hoped by the course adopted to compel the enemy to attack our force in position whether the movement towards dillon's was well or ill-advised it was certainly a misfortune to reverse the order of march in the presence of the enemy as it involved the disadvantage of being attacked in rear as has been described the dispositions for battle were promptly made and many of the troops fought with a gallantry worthy of all praise though defeated they were not routed 
Stevenson's single division for a long time resisted a force estimated by him at, quote, more than four times, end quote, his own. In the afternoon, he was reinforced by the unfaltering troops of Bowen's division. Cockerell, commanding the 1st Missouri Brigade, fought with like fortitude under like disadvantage. When Pemberton saw that the masses assailing his left and left center by their immense numbers were pressing our forces back into old fields, where the advantages of position would be in his adversary's favor, he directed his troops to retire and sent to Brigadier General Lloyd Tilgman instructions to hold the Raymond Road to protect the retreat. General Pemberton says of him, quote, it was in the execution of this important duty, which could not have been confided to a fitter man, that the lamented general bravely lost his life. He was the officer whose devoted gallantry and self sacrificing generosity were noticed in connection with the fall of Fort Henry. This severe battle was signalized by so many feats of individual intrepidity that its role of honor is too long for the limits of these pages. Though some gave way in confusion, and others failed to respond when called on, the heroism of the rest shed luster on the field, and, quote, the main body of the troops retired in good order, end quote. The gallant brigades of Green and Cockerell covered the rear. The topographical features of the position at the railroad bridge across the Big Black were such as, with the artificial strength given to it, made it quite feasible to defend it against a direct approach, even of an army as much superior in numbers to that of Pemberton as was that of Grant. But the attack need not be made by a direct approach. The position could be turned by moving either above or below by fords and ferries, and thus advancing upon Vicksburg by other and equally eligible routes. From what has already been quoted, it will be understood that General Pemberton considered the occupation of Vicksburg vitally important in connection with the command of the Mississippi River, and the maintenance of communication with the country beyond it. It was therefore that he had been so reluctant to endanger his connection with that point as his base. Pressed as he was by the enemy, whose object, it had been unmistakably shown, was to get possession of Vicksburg and its defenses, the circumstances made it imperative that he should abandon a position, the holding of which would not effect his object, and that he should withdraw his forces from the field to unite them with those within the defenses of Vicksburg, and endeavor, as speedily as possible, to reorganize the depressed and discomfited troops. One of the immediate results of the retreat from Big Black was the necessity of abandoning our defenses on the Yazoo at Snyder's Mills this position and the line of chickasaw bayou were no longer tenable all stores that could be transported were ordered to be sent into vicksburg as rapidly as possible the rest including heavy guns to be destroyed during the night of the seventeenth nothing of importance occurred on the morning of the eighteenth the troops were disposed from right to left on the defences on the entire line, 102 pieces of artillery of different caliber, principally field guns, were placed in position at such points as were deemed most suitable to the character of the gun. Instructions had been given from Bovina that all the cattle, sheep, and hogs belonging to private parties, and likely to fall into the hands of the enemy, should be driven within our lines. 
Grant's army appeared on the 18th. The development of the entrenched line from our extreme right was about eight miles, the shortest defensible line of which the topography of the country admitted. It consisted of a system of detached works, redans, lunettes, and redoubts, on the prominent and commanding points, with the usual profile of raised fieldworks, connected in most cases by rifle pits. To hold the entire line there were about 18,500 infantry, but these could not be all put in the trenches, as it was necessary to keep a reserve always ready to reinforce any point heavily threatened. End of section 26